Jeffrey Dale Nichols was a 40-year-old air traffic controller living in Salt Lake City, Utah. He was an outgoing family man whose interests ranged from golf to scuba diving. On June 8, 2004, he left his home to meet his ex-wife at 6 a.m. in Murray, Utah. He was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. What is she doing with him? What is he doing with her? And to be totally inclusive, what is she doing with her? And what is he doing with him? There have been several hundred, if not thousands, of articles that have been written in magazines from Men's Health to Cosmo trying to capture this idea of attraction. Why does one person like another? Why is one person attracted to another? And all that can really be said is it really depends on the individual. There is no formula. Just because you're a rich, good-looking guy doesn't mean you can pick up attractive women. There is no hard, fast rule. And I'm sure if you're listening to this, you can think of relationships that you know of where it just seems like two people are mismatched. And I can tell you that as a single person, I'm 46 years old, and I've been single for most of my life. I can tell you I've asked those questions, what is she doing with him in particular, quite a bit over the course of my life. I'll just be honest. And really, in assessing other people's relationships – Usually nothing comes of it. It's not something that we look at and think of as dangerous. We just think that it's odd. And if we do think that a relationship's odd, sometimes those people are together their whole lives. And somewhere, sometimes people divorce. And we know what the divorce rate is, at least in the United States. And people go on to find other people. And that's great. However, there is another side of this. And the FBI stats are very clear. If you are in a relationship, the odds of you coming in contact with violence increase, especially if you're a woman. Uh, If you've been to a site like charlieproject.org, you can see case after case after case where a woman was supposed to go meet – Uh, An ex-boyfriend or a current boyfriend, husband, ex-husband, and then suddenly she ups and disappears, never to be seen again. And unfortunately, in many of those cases, uh, the men who were involved and probably had something to do with that disappearance get away with it. As for men in relationships, yes, it's true. Women do not commit a majority of the crimes in the United States. There are not many female murderers out there or female rapists, or anything like that. But men, when they get into relationships, what happens? Well, there's ex-boyfriends, and there's ex-husbands, and there's protective father-in-laws, and people like that who may be looking at that relationship 
and be thinking what I said at the beginning of this, and that is, what is she doing with him? I bring this all up because, as you know about the show Unfound, it's just not enough for me to do an episode and send you on your merry way. You know I have some expectations for all of you. I want you to help a family who has lost a loved one. I want you to go out there and research these cases on your own. I want you to be involved, but I also see myself as a little bit of a teacher. I hope somebody can listen to this show and learn something and become more aware. So during today's show, I want you to think about those relationships that you know in your life, maybe even your own. Is it odd? Are those people who are in that relationship, are they just mismatched? Or do you think that it's gotten to the point where it may be dangerous? Because sometimes it takes somebody on the outside, somebody outside of the relationship to make that kind of assessment. And now the facts of the case. These are brought to you by charlieproject.org and my friend Megan Good. Jeff Nichols was last seen in the morning of June 8th. 2004 at his residence in the vicinity of the 2500 block of East Parley Way in Salt Lake City. He was supposed to meet his ex-wife at 6 a.m. in Murray, Utah to purchase a set of golf clubs. He was never seen again. His ex-wife claimed he called her shortly after 6 a.m. to say he wouldn't be meeting with her. Jeff's girlfriend reported him missing on the morning of June 9th. A month later, his white 2000 Ford Ranger pickup was located in the vicinity of 4800 South State Street in Murray, a short distance from the proposed meeting place. Jeff Nichols' family says it is uncharacteristic of him to leave without warning. There has been no activity on his bank accounts or credit cards since his disappearance. His family stated he was very happy with his life and close to his family and had no reason to walk away. Included with this episode is an interview with Jeff Nichols' sister, Wanda Schmidt. I can't thank her enough for joining me on this episode. I also need to give a shout-out to a listener who assisted me in this episode. She did some research for me that I could not do on my own. She has a particular talent in a particular area. And I I deeply thank her for that. She went well above the call of duty on this. I'll just call her SD for now because I'm not comfortable giving out her name at this point. But I thank her. And I remind you, you can find me on Twitter. My account is Unfound Podcast. Please listen, share, and subscribe on Podomatic and iTunes. I'd deeply appreciate it. You can email me, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. You can join us on Facebook, the Unfound Discussion Group. And you'll also find me posting about this show on Reddit and at Web Sluice. And if I could add one more note, I'd really appreciate it if you could spread the word about Unfound in your own way. You should know it's the only true crime podcast out there that is turning out new leads in cold cases. That's a fact. 
I now give you my interview with Wanda Schmidt, sister of Jeff Nichols. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound, the sister of Jeff Nichols, Wanda Schmidt. Wanda, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ed. Wanda, tell everyone, oh, you're welcome. Please tell the listeners a little bit about your brother, just some stories maybe that uh, they can identify with him, and then we'll move into um, you know, what happened to in his disappearance and everything that has happened since. Tell us a little bit about Jeff. Sure, sure. Um, he was just a really great guy. Um, really easygoing. He was fun to be around. He was a little bit hyper. Mm-hmm. And when he got an idea, he was a bit impulsive, and he would run with it. It's like he was all in, just certain things like businesses or whatever, mm-hmm. moving to wherever. Um, he, when I think about him, I just like picture him in my mind. He's, I see him smiling and laughing and joking around. Mm-hmm. He loved games and he loved to play games. He loved golf. He loved all things, everything. Um, we grew up in a blended family. Um, our family's a bit unusual in that everybody still remains close and in contact, even through divorces and remarriages. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and Jeff really was kind of a, a favorite child, you know, as, in growing up and as an adult. Um, Were you his older sister or younger sister? I'm his older sister. Oh. So we both shared the same parents. Okay. Um, through the whole thing. And, and we, we gained more siblings as we went along. Um, and you can, like, you know, even though Jeff moved to Utah, he's always stayed in contact with everybody. Mm-hmm. He, oh, he visited often. He came to Wisconsin to see us. Um, he, you could, I would look at his, I looked at his phone records and I could see like just him calling everybody all the time because he drove a lot. Mm-hmm. So he called me all the time. He called everybody, you know, just stayed in contact. Altogether, there's 11 siblings. Wow. And he never thought of anyone as, hey, well, this is my stepbrother or my stepsister or my half-sister. It was just these are my brothers and sisters. And hmm. these are my nieces and nephews. And he was really great with kids. He loved kids. He wanted to have lots of them. Mm-hmm. What is, if I were to ask you a, Right at this second, a special memory, something that sticks out, maybe uh, you two growing up together. Is there a specific memory that, that comes to mind about him, a certain you know, episode, a certain day, something like that? I, have a, I mean, I just kind of have like a lot of different memories. You know, like I, we, we shared the same parents and experiences. We, mm-hmm. My favorite memories of him are, even as adults, but was, were vacations, were boating scuba diving, fishing, Mm -hmm. just really having fun, playing games at night. Um, Like I said, even as adults, when we were little kids, we would go boating on the Chesapeake Bay to uh, St. Michael's and eat crabs. I don't know if you know where that is, you know, in that area. Okay. And our parents would socialize, and they'd always give us, like, I can't remember if it was quarters or nickels, but they would give us money to play the ping pong machine. And he would get so excited. Uh He just loved that. That's that's nice. That's That's a nice memory. Um, so he became an air traffic controller, right? That was, that's, that was his profession. How did that happen? What, what do you think got him into that? You know, it's interesting because before that, like he, um, he had gone to a boarding school in North Carolina 
he attended Appalachia State for a couple years, and he was kind of just not really knowing where he was going. He worked for our father in his taxi cab delivery business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Jeff was really, I think he was just struggling, like, what do I want to do? And I don't know if he took a test or something, but this test placed him really high in that field. Hmm. And I think he just went after it, and I'll tell you, there was no looking back. He loved it. He was really good at math, and when he could really hyper-focus on things that he really loved to do. Mm-hmm. So he went after yeah, that like he went after all those other things earlier in his life, like you said, the scuba diving yeah, and everything yeah. else, just with a real passion. Yeah, like he was very passionate, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. How did he handle the stress in that job? I know that I, I I I don't know if I could do that job. I heard it's very stressful. You know what? He the way he describes it, and I've looked back, and you know they always had there was really high stress times, but there were also there was also a lot of downtime. They played games. They played cards. They had football leagues. They had, huh. you know, it was this great community of people, and he just loved it. And, you know, every hour he worked, he was working towards his retirement or he got time off. And I think that just drove him in that, you know, in that area. And I, like I said, he could really hyper-focus and that meant something to him. What airport did he work at primarily? Where did he spend he most of his at, time? He, well, he started off at Hagerstown, Maryland. Um, and this is after him and Shelby first got married. Um, she didn't like it because it was too small. And mm-hmm. so then he applied at Dulles. And so... He obviously, to get a, a job at Dulles, you have to have the aptitude. I mean, because that's a really hard airport. Yeah. Um, and they they got a house over in Tyson Corner, our townhouse. But she didn't like it there because it was too too much, too busy. So then they bought a house out near Front Royal, Virginia. Um, and she still didn't like it. So then most of this time really was spent at Park City. I'm not Park City, Salt Lake City. They okay. moved out to Salt Lake City. And so he worked at the air, that airport. Yes. Okay. In the tower. I've been. To, I've flown into that airport. What he loved. Yes. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so you know they had kind of they were kind of on the rocks, mm-hmm. um, a lot different ups and downs. And well, let's get yeah. to that. How did they, how did the yeah. two of them meet? Let's go back a little bit. How did the two of them yeah, meet? Sure. Well, they met in air traffic control school. Shelby was also in going to school there, but she washed out. Hmm. And somehow I don't know really because uh, I lived in I lived in um, Wisconsin. I had moved to Wisconsin at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, she pursued Jeff after that, and you know he was kind of a ladies' man, and he said you know that nobody has ever pursued him that way. And I think he was flattered, and it really wasn't quickly after he graduated. And but they, so they they got married, and just from the outside looking in, and once again we understand that. You uh, and, and we're kind of foreshadowing where this this case is going to go. But well, how would you portray their marriage from the time they got married and, until the disappearance? Okay. What were some of the things that stick out to you? Well, one of the things this is this is going to be this is after Jeff disappeared. Mm-hmm. We were contacted by a friend of Jeff that was in class. She was actually an um, Shelby sex roommate. Okay, and. Um, she described how everybody in their class was shocked that hmm. he had married her. Um, and this person was actually afraid of Shelby. So I'm not really sure why, because I didn't talk to her. That was through our private detective. 
Okay. And through, you know, she had contacted, she was trying to contact somebody to, to tell them this. Um, my, you know, what I do remember is my dad telling Jeff that he didn't have to marry her. Mm-hmm. In fact, both of our fathers told him that he shouldn't marry her. Because I don't think he was really sure that he was in love with her. I think he was in love with the idea of getting married and having children and having lots of children. Mm-hmm. But Shelby didn't want to have children. Um, and that was one of the agreements that they had, that if he married her, that she would have children. Hmm. They were married in 93. They were divorced in 2003. Um, mm-hmm. There was probably, you know, I went to their wedding. Okay. I had come back and I went to the wedding. It was a real small wedding. That's when I met her family. Um, but I got to know her a little bit over holidays. And we would go back to visit in the summers or holidays. She had a real, like, raw kind of brass, crass sense of humor. Um, mm-hmm. She talked openly about her family and her past marriage. She was married before. And hmm. they talked about Shelby and how she was really happy to be away from her, her father in particular. Um, and that they didn't, I think they kind of gravitated to each other because they, you know, when you kind of go through hard times when you're a kid, you don't want your kids to go through that. They both kind of had that. Okay. And Shelby definitely didn't want to raise her kids the way she was raised. She told us that her father was a Navy SEAL and that Mm -hmm. they had moved often. Um, and the truth was you found out they moved often, but he was never a Navy SEAL. (laughs) Right. Right. Okay. Right. 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 Okay. I don't remember her saying anything positive about her father, except that mm. he was a good cabinet maker. How um, often would you say over those la- those 10 years of them being married, 10, 11 years, that you saw them together? Was it once a year or twice a year? Or? Yeah. It was probably at the most once a year. Most. Okay. And yeah. how would you say their marriage looked when you know um, when you saw them? Really strange. Very strange. Okay. Um. We would, you know, we'd play games and stuff, and she, I, and I could just tell Shelby she would get angry at him, you know, or, you know, and swear at him. And she talked like a sailor. She always swore. I mean, mm. I can swear too, but she talked like a real sailor. <laughs> okay, like a longshoreman, as the saying goes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, did you, did you, I mean, were you surprised that, the, that they lived, I mean, they were married for 11 years, or... Well, I think that, you know, it was weird. Um, there was a period where they were going to get divorced, and mm-hmm. Shelby came up pregnant at that point. Shelby went through all these weird things. At one point, I think she, remember she said that she had a pituitary, a tumor on a pituitary gland, and I think mm-hmm. she was on birth control to control it. I, I can't remember. I never really believed her because she always embellished everything. Mm-hmm. And once somebody does that, me, I have I find it difficult to believe anything they say. Right. Um, and Jeff kind of told me stories just about like little stuff she would lie about, and and we caught her in lies with my other sister, and I just it was hard for me to believe to believe her. Mm-hmm. But they the but they did have life. a but they did have a son together though, and you they know did have a son, yeah. Okay, and yeah. Wh- when and when was he born? He was born in May um, of ninety. Okay. So they were thinking about getting divorced right around that time, but then she got pregnant, had their son, and they, they stayed together until 2003. What, what, what caused them to get divorced? What was, what did it, was it a variety of things or was it like a final straw? 
How would you portray that? You know, I think it was just a variety of things. I think that, um, like like I said, they were always kind of on the rocks. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just trying to think here where... Was she involved in some of these uh, shady business things while she was married? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Was that what? Yeah. Could that have been part of what led to the divorce as well? Well, here's this is what I have there too. I mean, okay. In the ten years they were married, Shelby had twenty four different jobs. Wow. Just wanted her to work. Um, I think she really wanted to stay home, and especially after Stan was born, she really. I don't think she really wanted to be a mom, but then she became like a, a mother bear with Sam. It was just kind of bizarre the way she had acted with him. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, she wanted to stay home, but she didn't like to cook or clean or do any of that. So, you know, Jeff was like, okay, well then, you know, you need to work. And she had all different kinds of jobs and she got into, her, you know, she really wanted to get in her own business and she wanted to make it rich. Mm-hmm. She tried a lot of different things. But it kind of seemed like it was one scan after the other, like I had told you. But, right. So, but she was involved in some some Ponzi, some Ponzi schemes, some multi-level marketing things. Right. 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 Okay. Um, she's also, like, she's, her parent, her father, there was a couple mortgage companies they started. I think it was Brown Communications and Jefferson Financial they started. And they, they, they did, she was also a loan officer. Um she did credit, you know, helping somebody get their credit. Mm. Um, but I think that all kind of led up to it. And I just don't know. I I, I do think, like I said, Fern was very negative. And I, when she would get around him, she would get sucked into his world. And that wasn't mm. good. Okay, let's, let's talk a little bit uh, before we get once again into – the time around Jeff disappeared. Let's talk a little bit because this is also part of uh, this this case. Is her father Vernon? What do you remember about him? Do you remember the first time you met him? How did he come across? And what did Jeff have to say about him over the years that Jeff and Shelby were married? Um, so I met Vern at their wedding. Didn't think too much about it. You know, it's kind of hard when you're in that situation. Mm-hmm. I think I think that weekend maybe they had come to visit our house and he was supposed to be this big like upscale builder. Um, I do remember like him looking at the floors and saying, "Oh, these are really nice hardwood floors," and they weren't hardwood. And I thought, "Hmm, that's bizarre." Um, so I do. What I remember visiting on one of my visits to Shelby and Jeff mm-hmm. was that Jeff showed us the revenge book that Shelby and her father shared. Um, Let's just say that again, a revenge book. Yeah, a revenge book. And it was like all these ways to take revenge on people that did stuff to you. So she told us that when she was first married to her first husband, that her father had followed him and discovered that he had multiple affairs with women. And she had confronted her ex-husband. But she said that while he was taking a shower, she removed him at gunpoint. And then she told us how her dad and her had used a syringe of animal urine to spray in his car. And she enjoyed seeing him drive around town, or they did, in the middle of summer in Arkansas, because they lived, her parents lived in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. Um, none of that was true. I had contacted Robert Butler, and he said it just was not true. But it was strange that she would even say that. Um, but um, Jeff was always telling me stuff about her father. Um 
he was running his own construction company, building houses. But mm. what I found out later is that it was his sister's company, and he bankrupted. He drove it into the ground and destroyed her reputation. Um, and when that happened, they moved up and into Jeff and Shelby's basement. Shelby's and mother and father moved in with Shelby and Jeff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Yes. Hmm. And, did uh, Jeff and Vernon get along? Did Jeff and Vernon get no. along? No. Well, you know, I guess uh, to to an extent, um, but Jeff really, really didn't like appreciate that. He said, you know, he didn't mind, you know, like helping somebody else, but I don't think he ever said thank you. I don't think he ever put any here's some money for anything. You know what I mean? It was just, I think Vern just took everything he could from Jeff and really thought that Jeff should support him. That one story that Jeff said that Vern used to always move his car around when they first moved up because he couldn't leave it parked anywhere too long because he didn't want it to get repossessed. So he, you know, mm. it's like he knew what to do mm-hmm. in that situation. And it was just, to me, it was just really shady. And they were just, um, the Browns were just a shady family. They were. Okay. Um, they, they then, but I think Jeff liked the idea of family. And mm-hmm. Sam, Sam should not, should be able to have his grandparents. I don't think he really, he didn't want to take that away. Um, but you know, there was a period, too, where Vern had that furniture shop in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. And Jeff helped him at night. He helped him and he made, Vern taught, taught him how to make an ottoman. And I think that maybe that, they had something in common on that, but... Really, what I've understood and heard from other people is that Burns despised Jeff, and um, so so Jeff, despite all knowing all these things, are, are these things that you found out at the time, or did you find them out after Jeff disappeared? Um, On the whole, that, that he that Vern despised him. Yes, something or or some, or these other things I found that he that out after. Found, and I found that out after. Okay, and like he drove his sister's company into the ground. You found that after. I found that out after. Do you think Jeff knew this at the time? Do you have any ideas? I think that Jeff, what Jeff saw was, well, in that first bankruptcy, he was really pissed. He had, had he had lent Vern twenty thousand oh dollars um, for his construction company. He did it twice. The first time Vern paid him back. Second time he claimed bankruptcy. You know, he claimed bankruptcy in Arkansas, and. Jeff was listed as a creditor on that bankruptcy. And that really bothered Jeff. He just thought, well, and then he tried this shady deal like he was trying to, I don't really, I guess I have it written in Jeff's notes that Vernon was trying to buy these two lots for, you know, to try to hide money from the bankruptcy court mm-hmm. um, and and put it in Jeff and Shelby's name. And he really didn't want anything to do with that. He just wanted, oh, I want my 20000 <laughs> yeah. you know. Well, now that we, we know who Jeff is, he's this good guy, uh, good family man, man, has many brothers and sisters, keeps in contact with them. And now we know a little bit about Shelby and her issues, but Jeff chose to marry her. And we know a little bit about her dad, Vernon. Let's go to the time closely preceding uh, Jeff disappearing. Um, what went on in the divorce and specifically – Jeff had found out some things about Shelby that during the divorce, and they were going back to court or something like that. Were they not? Yeah. Well, what I'll tell you, let's let's start with um, if it's okay. Let's start with um, 
Shelby's job. Okay. And when she when they worked with uh, Vince. Okay. I think I told you about him. Yeah. Um, we were a little skeptical because we learned that Shelby was supposedly the chief financial officer for this e-commerce business. Mm-hmm. And Shelby and Vern were working with this man, man named Vince, and they called him Vinny. That company was called Tidal Wave. Um, I, I, I don't know really what happened, but that guy was arrested and spent time in jail. Okay. After he got out, he contacted us to discuss Jeff's disappearance, and he did share his belief that Vernon was involved in Jeff's disappearance. Okay. That's when I told you. He also told me, or I was looking through the records, that um, he had mentioned this guy that was 10 years younger than Vernon that stood out. He had a glass eye. Right. Um, but at the time of Vincent's arrest, Vern, Shelby and Vern grabbed all the office equipment that they could and started a new business out of Jeff and Shelby's Park City Home. And that, that business was called IXP.com. Apparently, they learned what not to do from Vinny, you know, mm-hmm. where you, so that you didn't go to jail for fraud. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff even gave them $6,000 to invest in a startup company. He wanted Shelby to be successful. Yeah. You know, their marriage was falling apart. They had talked about moving again. He decided that he wanted, in case it didn't work out, he wanted to be closer to family. So he was looking at, that Chicago area because it's close to Wisconsin. Um, he is, like I say, as much as he disliked Burn, he just really thought Sam should have that, you know, relationship with his grandparents. And they had all agreed that they would move to Chicago. <clears throat> and in September of 2002, he took a transfer to Chicago O'Hare. And I really think that, you know, he discussed like them all moving together, leaving the house listed. But Vern had thought that the house would sell better if it was occupied. I really don't think they ever had any intention of leaving. Um, but, you know, so he's given in a try. Jeff um, moved ahead of the family. He rented a small apartment close to the airport so that, because that in training programs really expensive. Yeah. So he figured, you know, he's got a couple months to train. Um, Shelby was coming, Shelby and Sam would be visiting over Thanksgiving, and then he'd go back over Christmas. Um, well, over the Thanksgiving holiday, that they decided we can't do this. It's over. They came up here. We, I had I had my whole family just about up here for Thanksgiving, and a bunch of people. And, and what year was this? What year? Um, that was two thousand two. Okay. So Jeff put like in the beginning of December, he put in another request to return back to the tower. You know, his marriage is over. He knows that he's going to have to fight for, you know, joint custody of Sam. He can't do that from the tower, and uh, he wasn't going to be away from Sam. You know, he was away from him for that period, but he figured, you know, again, Thanksgiving, Christmas, you know, like, I can do this. We can do it for us, the family. Really, from there, it got really ugly. Um, And he found out when he was back that Shelby had... um, withdrawn money from a joint equity line and also from a individual equity account that was only in his name. She'd also bought, I think it was an explorer. And he's like, what are you, what the hell? <laughs> you don't have any income. How can you do this? And she's like, don't worry about it. You know, it's, it's, it's a company car that your name isn't on it. And he was kind of freaking out about it. And then he finds out that someone called the bank. A man called the bank to request checks on this account that he thought was closed, and it was in his name. It was in and Jeff's that, name. Right. And mm. then the computer rejected the signatures 
and the company called and they left it was Chase, they left a message for Jeff to call him. And then a man calling impersonating Jeff called and answered all the security questions. Oh my. To verify that he to verify that Jeff had signed those checks. And Jeff got really pissed. He was like, You know what? That that's just it's like I'm trying to help you out. You know, I gave you money. And you knew exactly who it was. It was Vern doing this. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Vern and Shelby, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he did accept, they did offer Jeff a position back at the TRACON, which is the radar part of the FAA, or right. FFA. Um, well, he was waiting for a tower position to open up. But in February, when he came back, they were moving out of the house. Which he was very happy. He was afraid, and I, I was afraid for him to go back. I really didn't want him to go back. That's when you started really, really fearing for his life a little bit. Well, I, when he first decided that he was going back, that's mm-hmm. when I did. okay. And this, but this um, was in two thousand three. This wasn't close to June two thousand four yet. Oh, this, yeah. This was in the beginning of two thousand three. Okay. Like, All right. right. Yeah, that was really ugly. But okay. They, um, Shelby. So anyway, Jeff filed a formal complaint. Of Park City or Summit County against for bank fraud against Shelby and Byrne. He mm-hmm. was just really pissed. Um, Shelby retaliated, filed a protective order. Um, he really was fearful of both of them, but they both, you know, they decided, okay, let's forget this. She withdrew the complaint that was bogus anyway. They filed a mutual restraining order. They went through their divorce. But they would always be in public when they exchanged stamps. They would go to the McDonald's near Shelby's mm. house. Okay. And that divorce wasn't final until 2003. Okay. Um, in November. November 2003. Mm. Yeah. And even after the divorce, he helped her buy a car. Because, number one, she couldn't buy a car. And her parents were moving to Florida or to Arizona. And Vern was taking the car that she drove. Mm-hmm. The other car she already had to give back. Now, we, we move into 2004. So they got divorced in late 2003. We move into 2004. And Jeff had uh, gotten a new girlfriend, right? Yep. He had met some new yep. new new woman who is going to play a part now in, the, in the, the rest of this conversation in regards to his disappearance. Yep. And he, they, he and Shelby were trading... Uh, they had the son together, and each of them had their custody, and they would, like you said, the McDonald's, uh, you know, meeting each, each other there. And so what do you remember about those days around the time that, that Jeff disappeared and maybe the days before? And then, you know, what did you think when you first heard that, you know, Jeff turned up missing? Well, what I remember is, like, during those days, so what I remember during, do you want me to go through the years or the days? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, well, I'm just going to go back. I mean, like, in 2004, it got, it started to deteriorate. Their conversations were, they were constantly fighting um, over mm-hmm. Sam. Shelby showed up a couple times at his house because she found out about Carla. She thought he was cohabitating, which he wasn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, <clears throat> Jeff had planned to move closer to the airport, closer to Carla, because he wasn't ready to get married, but um, but he really he really did like her quite a bit. She also had a couple kids, which he loved. He said her kids are great, mm-hmm. and you know he really liked working and 
doing the job that he was doing. Um, I think that by, by spring, things were really going good for him. I don't think I told you this part. He, and he had actually settled a discrimination and retaliation lawsuit with the FAA um, that he filed in March of 2003. Hmm. He, re- he received notice that he got his tower designation back within 15 months, and he could work the live traffic. And, but he really liked what he was doing. So, I mean, things were really going good for him. He was divorced. He was going out with Carla. But, you know, with Shelby, things had started to deteriorate. But they went to the, the co-parenting class. Mm-hmm. I think he was feeling more positive. I was really excited because he bought plane tickets to visit us for two weeks at the end of June and July. And he was bringing Carla and two of her children. But at the same time, I was also scared. I, I just did not trust Shelby or her father. And he would always tell us stuff like, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe what they're doing now. You know, the Burns claimed bankruptcy. Now, you know, he was waiting for Shelby to claim bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. Um, but on the day, what was supposed to happen on the day that he disappeared? What what went on? Uh, what did what does Carla, what did Carla remember about, like, the day before the arrangements that were made for Jeff to meet Shelby that day that he disappeared? Okay. Um, the day that he disappeared, um, he taught, well, let's talk about the day before mm-hmm. he disappeared. He, he, he would talk to Carla every day. And, you know, according to Carla, well, you can see it, you know, they texted, they, every night before they went to bed, they would call each other. Carla went to bed pretty early because she worked early in the morning. So the day before he disappeared, they had talked and, she said it was around 8 o'clock. He was getting ready to mow the yard. But he told her that he was going to meet Shelby at 6 a.m. in the morning to buy some golf clubs. That Shelby had a client that was selling a set of clubs. It was a set of irons and a couple um, woods or whatever. But he would get it for like $250. And they were really worth about $900 to $1,200. Okay. So he was pretty excited about that. And that's something that would get him pretty excited. Yeah. So he had asked Carla to give him a call in the morning to wake him up so that he wouldn't be late. Jeff really was a, it wasn't unusual at all. He was a really heavy sleeper. So he didn't want to sleep through his alarm or I think, I think it was pretty typical that Carla would call and wake him up in the morning. And so she called him on the day he disappeared at about 4.50. And he told her that he was meeting Shelby at 45 South State, but he wasn't sure where. Carla's like, where, where? Because that's, that's like an intersection, you know, it's mm-hmm. not anything. It's not a uh, store, it's not a Starbucks, it's not that McDonald's that they usually met at. It was just an address. That's right, right. Okay. Right, so, but at the time she's like, you know what, that's not that far away from you. Maybe go back to sleep and I'll call you, you know, in about 15, 20 minutes and wake you up. Sleep in a little bit. Well, she got working and she, it was about 5.30, um, she called him back. But he still had time to go meet Shelby. So, um, that day... Carla had texted Jeff a couple times about 8.30, 9.30. Hey, did you like the clubs? Did you get them? But she got nothing, and she started to get worried. And she gets off pretty early. He gets off around 3.30. He said he was going straight to work after he met Shelby. Mm-hmm. So she's calling his house. She's calling the cell phone. She's calling his work and not getting anything. And she headed over about 9 o'clock at night. She got all she could think about with what Jeff told her the, the weekend two weeks before when they had gone to California. Um, They were driving out there, and it was over the Memorial weekend. He found out that Shelby had taken Sam out of school for the week, and 
Um, Shelby wasn't returning any of his calls, and he was worried that she had possibly left. So mm-hmm. before they drove to California for the weekend, um, he stopped by Shelby's house. There was no answer. He, he got the landlord's number and called and found out that the house was going to be available for rent on July 1st. So he found out that she was moving out. Yeah, she was moving out, which kind of wasn't surprising because her parents had already moved out, and it was a house. But, <clears throat> you know, she hadn't told them where she was moving yet. And it's kind of like past the time. Like, I think that, you know, the notice should have been like 60 days where she's moving. Mm-hmm. I, I think she was planning to move to Arizona. So I told him. But um, Shelby did call him back. And when he hung up after talking to Sam, he, he was able to talk to Sam. He looked over, they're driving, he looked over at Carla and he said, everything I predicted Shelby was going to do, she's done. And if I ever come up missing, you go find Vernon Brown. And Carla's like, oh, Jack. Yeah. You know, if they were going to do something, don't you think they would have done it by now? And he just said, Carla, you don't know these people. And she just said, she was just like, all that's like going through her head now. It's not, you know, it's late, he's not home. Um, she looked at his phone. She she had gone into the house. She looked at his answering machine, and the only um, there were two messages. I think it was her and his office had called. So the next morning, she got up and she called. She spent the night there, and she called uh, her boss, which is part of a search and rescue in Weber County, I think. Hmm. And he said, "Check the hospitals, the police, call everybody." and file a missing persons report. And she did get a hold of Jeff's boss. And he was going to file the report, but they won't let him. They said that she had to. Let's just, I want to just set this timeline, I just want to set this timeline up for the listeners just for just a moment. It was Memorial Day weekend, which is the last, usually the last Monday weekend in May, is when he said to Carla, if I turn up missing, go find Vernon Brown, which is Shelby's dad. He disappears June 8th, which is not even two weeks later. That's right. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Did when Carla was calling around trying to find him, did she ever call Shelby? No, but Shelby got involved in that Carla called the school because she wasn't sure. She thought maybe Shelby had taken off mm-hmm. and took Sam, and she just didn't know. And so she called the school, and I think she even went over to the school to talk to Sam's teacher, but she wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. So then she went back. She called the school. And then the school called Shelby to let Shelby know that she was looking and that mm-hmm. Jeff was missing, because Carla had told them that. So Shelby's calling now. I mean, I have her statement, Carla's mm-hmm. statement, and that Shelby called her all nice and sweet and didn't know anything that was going on, and no, Jeff didn't show up. And um, Yeah, what was – let's just make this clear. What was Shelby's story? She was supposed to meet him. She says he never showed up. In fact, she says – that he called and says he wasn't going to make it. Yeah. So, but she also says, wait a minute, it wasn't at 45 South State. It was at like 7,700 South State, which is where, near or 7,200 where they would meet for the Ethan O'Donnell's, um, which was near Shelby's house. And it was just, so there was this discrepancy. Shelby, um, Carla did say something about the golf club. Shelby changes the story later when she talks to my husband and just said that they were having a, a family breakfast that they did. It made it sound like they did it all the time. Like she would wake mm-hmm. Sam up at six o'clock in the morning, you know, to have breakfast with Jeff. <laughs> um, huh. That Jeff called and said that he wasn't going to be able to make it. And when you look at, yeah, it, that 
that didn't happen. Okay. Um, and, but, and so when did you find out, and, 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 and who called you to tell you that Jeff was missing? Um, Carla tried to call me at the house, but I was in Indiana. Um, my son wrestled, and we were at a wrestling tournament, the schoolboy school duo. And I was asleep that Thursday night after Carla called my husband, or my husband called, because she called him earlier in the day, but he called me and said that, you know, Jeff was missing, and he went through the whole thing about what they thought. And, I mean, everybody thought the same thing. We all thought that something bad had happened to him. Who knew? Mm -hmm. My brother and my husband, my brother Dean and my husband Tim, flew out the next day to, to see what was going on. My brother Dean even rented a plane, and he flew over Salt Lake just to see if maybe Jeff's car had gone off the road. And it was like, and wow. you know, yeah. Um, they put up flyers. They talked to Sandra Yee, which was a um, reporter out there, just to get the word out, you know, about what happened and talked to the police. Um, Did the police track down Shelby? Um, no. In fact, um, Shelby had hired a criminal attorney. On June 10th, 2006. Two days after Jeff disappeared, she got an attorney. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Huh. Okay. And, but so the police couldn't get anywhere with her, anywhere, anywhere well, the with... Police, I don't think they even tried to. I think that mm. they... It's, so, it's so different. It's, it's unbelievable that it's a missing person, and they go, well, they have the right to be missing. How do you know he just didn't drive off? And Carla was trying to describe to the to the sergeant or whoever it was, detective, that this is what he said to me. You know, when you as a family are saying, you know what, something is really, really wrong, he wouldn't just do that. He, you know, he loved his family. And I understand people leave for all kinds of reasons. But when the family is really adamant and telling you no, um, they, mm. they just didn't listen. And I think that, you know, they just weren't trained properly either as far as how to handle missing person mm. cases. Yep. I think that the police departments are getting better trained, but still you get that a lot, you know, whether it's kids or, you know, adults. Um, they they have the right to leave, and so we can't listen to it. That's been a common topic on this show since, since it started four months ago is that police – not taking these disappearances seriously enough, and it does partly at least have to do with training and also partly having to do with the police somehow convince themselves that it's no big deal and this person will be back in a couple of days. It's been an ongoing topic, and I think it probably will continue to be a, a topic on this show because what you're saying here is echoed by many of the other people I've interviewed before you in disappearances yeah. all over the United States. Yeah, I, I, I know. It is. Yeah, yeah. It is, absolutely. And even talking to the detective myself, like, I, I could tell, like, well, why like, he would argue with me. My, at first, when it first happened, I mean, I could barely get out of bed. My husband was, like, you know, he, he was handling everything. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, wait a minute. This isn't right. And I just started focusing on what was going on mm. and trying to talk to the police and I, I got the sense that, yeah, no, they, what they really, they believed, Shelby, actually, so I want to tell you this, so two weeks after, um, it was within two weeks after Jeff disappeared, Shelby moved to Arizona with her parents, mm -hmm. and she did stop by the police department, she hadn't, she did talk to um, 
Detective Marino. Um, and I, she gave him a book. And I, I'm thinking it, I saw the book. And I'm sure it was like her side of the divorce and how, you know, portraying Jeff as some whack job and a drug addict and a, a gambler and very far from the truth, all mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the detective, and I think her father was with her. Um, I think her mother and father both wrote um, um, statements, you know, to discredit Jeff mm-hmm. and what they thought happened, whatever. But, but um, uh, Vernon Brown, would, though, Vernon, her dad, was never interviewed by the police regarding this disappearance, no. ever. No, he was never interviewed. Do you know what his alibi is for the morning that Jeff disappeared? No, I don't think any, nobody asked him that. In fact, you know, I, I think um, there was a, a private detective that asked Shelby that. Where, where's your father? Is he, is he here? And that's probably really what prompted her to get that detective, her to get that attorney. Okay. Now, Jeff's truck, it was found when? He was took his white pickup truck, a Ford Ranger pickup truck. It yeah. vanished along with him at least for a while, and then it was found later. When and where and how did that come about, and what yeah. what did you find because of that? What? Well, um, the, the truck was towed July 15th from 4840 South State. It was behind an apartment building. The apartment building was right across the street from the Murray Police Department. So this was right in the vicinity of the 4500 South State, mm-hmm. where Jeff was supposed to meet. It's real close to Vern's, where he had his business. Um, this cabinet business. business? The cabinet business? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Furniture business. Okay. Yeah. Um, we received a letter from the Tony Company, like, when we were mo- in, in August. The letter got to my sister, Debbie. She was receiving all the mail. Um, that the truck had been towed. And so we were helping clean out Jeff's house. We got notice that the truck was towed in July. But the title, but towing company didn't mm. contact them. And I'm really not sure why it took so long for that letter to get to us. I don't think they even wrote it right away. And I don't, I don't know if that is common with towing companies because you know you're paying a daily rate to, to hold it, to mm. get it out. Um, but the police grabbed, you know, got the the car and they processed it just like they would have um they took that part seriously so he disappears on june 8th the the but the the truck wasn't towed until july 15th and you didn't even right. know when did you finally get the truck back when did you find out that it was towed and everything it wasn't until august it wasn't until august and i did not get we did not get the truck back Oh, you never did. Um, the okay. police took it and processed it, and then they, I think they gave it back to the tow company. I'm just, or actually to the bank. I think it went oh. to the bank. Yeah. Oh, okay. But so for so essentially for two months, at least from your point of view, both Jeff and his truck had disappeared. That's right. That's right. Okay. Was it ever determined? Did the police ever look into how long that truck had actually been sitting there? Was it sitting there from June 8th to July 15th? Has ever, anybody been ever no. doing, determined that? No. No. No one determined that. The apartment manager, like, noticed the truck had been parked for some time, and then he called to have it towed. Once he figured out, okay, wait, this, tr- this truck, what's this truck doing here? It doesn't belong here. Um, and hmm. he, I, you know, I don't think that they ever really got a, an answer from him on that. Okay. That, you know, there was not, it was locked. There was a single key in the ignition. Um yeah, there there really wasn't anything. So, 
Okay. I Nothing in the car, no blood in the car, no... No, it was in the car. Huh? Like quarters. Jeff used to buy bags of quarters. So with our natural dad, Doc, he had this hobby where they would he would buy all these quarters, you know, like the state quarters. Mm-hmm. And then he would mail, you know, mail some back to Doc. Um, and so there was a, a bunch of bags of quarters in the car. How much money would you say that ended up being? 60 bucks. 60 bucks. Okay. And he just left, I mean, he just left them in the car? He didn't leave them in his house? Yeah, for some reason they were in the car. Like, he probably had just gotten them at some point, you know. Um, It's interesting. I'm not sure why they were in there, but they were. There was also an error on his plate. So that that was, there was another thing that Jeff um, received new plates in the mail. There was an error on the plates that were on the truck. Mm Mm-hmm. So the DMV sent huh. a new set of plates, which was mailed to Virginia, to my sister. Later. Wow. Yeah. And then it was like, okay, well, maybe this had something to do. Because that truck was parked, like I said, across the street from the mm-hmm. Murray Police Department. You know, they're driving around. You see a white truck, oh, but that's the wrong plate. I, I, I'm not, I just, I just, okay. I don't remember, but I just remember that. that. So, what, so what you're saying is yeah. that the, the police knew that Jeff had disappeared. And there was a being on the lookout, a bolo for Jeff in his white truck. And then this right. whole time, the, the at least for a month until July 15th, that truck was parked essentially right across the street and the police couldn't find it. Right. But it was behind an apartment mm-hmm. building. Okay. It wasn't like sitting on the street. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, right. I, I've lived in a, you know, I've never owned a house. I've lived in apartments. I do know from my apartment living days, like in Las Vegas, that. You know, there's like gate, but I, I can remember once in a while, like a policeman, you know, just trolling through there, see what's going on. But especially if they're looking for someone or something. So, or should be anyway. Yeah, right, right. Now, you, if we could talk about this, you do have phone records from, in fact, you've already kind of mentioned them. You do have yeah. phone records from that day. What, yeah. what can you tell the listeners about? The pinging of Jeff's phone, the pinging of Shelby's phone, and what can I you tell? I can't really tell you about the pinging of Shelby's phone. Okay. But I have is a, a, a list of calls. But okay. Um, all right, but what I do have from Jeff's record. Okay. Jeff was at forty-five South Street Street, and he called Shelby about six o three. But he was in the area that he told Carla was. That's what it picked up. That was in Murray. Okay. Um. They had, a, like, a two-minute conversation. Then another call from his phone was made near Shelby's home at 6.52. And that's when she said that, you know, he called to say he wasn't coming. Or mm-hmm. uh, At one point, she said that he called to say he was late and he didn't show up. Um, there was another call that was made at 1.10, and it originated in South Salt Lake Tower, and it, but it was to a car dealer in Murray. If you're driving either on the highway or from State Street, you can see there's a billboard with that. When I was there, I could see the billboard with that number. So it, mm-hmm. it almost looked like somebody was driving north at mm-hmm. like one time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and a dealership was called from Jeff's phone? Yeah, it was just like an 18-second call. And nobody no. can't figure out anybody at the dealership ever... No, no, that was just, I think it was just a, a call from somebody. Kind of like a, like a fake call? Yeah. Like trying to establish an alibi? 
call? Well, I think here's the, what I think. You know, the question is, where was Shelby? Mm-hmm. Um, her house phone, she made a call to her friend Lisa and Mike Hebert in Park City mm-hmm. at 6.57. So, you know, um, Jeff called her. She, I guess the, the McDonald's is real close to her house, so, you know, she could run over. It would probably take her five minutes to get there. Um, I feel like that call was an alibi call. I don't know. Um, there was also a call to her grandma Ivy, who lived in England, um, at 7:44. What I find interesting, though, is like Shelby talked to her parents every day on her house phone, and that day she didn't talk to her parents at all. Maybe because she didn't need to call them because they were there. Yeah, <laughs> that's and just kind so of what comes to call. mind. Okay. Well, if I had a li- I have a list of, and I don't can't say how I got it, but I have a list of. The cell phone, actually, there was a couple calls made to an, uh, one of her parents' cell phones, which I believe was her father's on mm-hmm. that day, but not from um, her house. Uh, so let's just go back there for a second. So there's a two-minute call, It's or there's a call at 6.03 a.m. from Jeff's phone, and then there's another call at 6.52 a.m. from Jeff's phone, but then no. from... Or, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then – but then five minutes later, Shelby is calling somebody. Five minutes after she says he she talked to him at the 652, she's calling a friend of hers five minutes later. Yeah, from her house from phone. From her house phone. From her house phone. Okay. Right. So, I, you know, I just felt like, you know, that, that is a good question. I'd love to see the actual um, – cell phone records of Shelby's. We had uh, received a list of the calls and the phone numbers, but where were those pinged and where it took, you know, I just, I think that would be a wealth of information. So the police, neither you nor the police or your your other rest of their family members could find out anything out in that time that you were out there. And just a couple weeks later, did not Shelby and her family move to Arizona? I mean, they didn't, they just kind of left. Shelby and her, Shelby's parents moved way before she did. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, they moved before because she, like, pretty much, I think it was towards the end of December they had moved. But they were in All Salt time. Lake, but at least the father was in Salt Lake when Jeff disappeared. Well, that's what we believe. Okay, there's no, oh, okay. All right. You know, yeah, they weren't living at the house. Like, they were, they had moved, so this is interesting, they had moved, actually moved everything from the house. Um, the, the house that she had on Verde Court. Um, and I think that they moved everything with the plans, you know, just like left a skeleton house behind. Mm-hmm. Because then Shelby was able to move two weeks later. Mm-hmm. To Arizona. Disappeared. Yeah. Yeah. So just for the record, it's never been established technically that her parents were in Salt Lake at the time of Jeff's disappearance. No. Even though that that that, that uh, Vernon had this business very near where you know the forty five hundred South Street or whatever the address is, he did not have that business anymore. Was somebody else working? Nope. He had. Yep, he had sold the the business. Um, I did find out that he still had access to the building, hmm. um, but I don't. There's no evidence that he was there. Okay, but. Uh, but when, but at some point the parents did show up in Salt Lake City in the, in those days. Um, 
Barbara definitely showed up. She, when my brother and my husband got there on the 10th, Barbara was there. Already there, okay. And what she about Vernon? I don't know anything about him. She, we, there, Shelby okay. would not answer that question. She just said no, her father wasn't there. Okay. Um, okay. All right. But they moved to Arizona, but the, the law was after Shelby for some other reasons, wasn't it? That had nothing to yes. do with Jeff's disappearance. What were those reasons? Um, Jeff was actually waiting for Shelby to claim bankruptcy because he knew that both his alimony was based on her debt that she had acquired from the, those, these companies. And he thought, well, I could take her back to court and I could have that reduced. Um, and she did claim bankruptcy in March. Mm -hmm. And he got a hold of, I think it was May, and he's like, Wanda, you can't believe that she she lied on her bankruptcy. And he had called the court and had talked to a trustee. Um, it wasn't, I don't think it was her trustee at the time, but he had talked to this trustee and said, hey, you know, like, this is, he wanted to make sure that he wouldn't be liable for anything. Um, and he wasn't really sure what he was going to do with that information. Mm -hmm. um, I think he just really got sick of, all the being pushed around by Shelby and her parents that he decided that he was going to take her to court and go back and get sole custody of Sam. And use that information to get sole custody of their son. And that was, yeah. that was something that was going to happen. But what happened in the meantime was that he disappeared. Well, no, what, what also happened in the meantime mm. is so Shelby claimed bankruptcy in, in May, the beginning of May, May two thousand four. May two thousand four. Yep. May okay. Two thousand four. There's a meeting of the creditors, and she doesn't show up. This is important because if you don't show mm -hmm. up, then your bankruptcy just gets dismissed, right? Mm -hmm. You have it. You have like twenty days to reschedule it or whatever. And then, so so in June, I think June first, her bankruptcy got dismissed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So then Jeff goes missing June eighth. June 30th, she files another bankruptcy that gets filed on July 7th. This is this gets a wholly a totally new trustee, which is Joel Marker, who's the guy Jeff talked to. Um, and again, it is, it, it, to me, it's, it's even more telling in that um, she she lies on her bankruptcy. She's as far as income from you know she doesn't claim any income at all, in alimony, child support. Jeff had not even missed a payment yet. Wow. But I guess, you know, with actually that was probably one of the charges that was plea bargained off of there. Mm -hmm. But to me, when I'm looking at it, she does she writes on there that she I mean he hasn't he gave her the June payment. He had not missed a payment when she filed that. Hmm. And when she signed that bankruptcy. And like how does she know he's not coming back? But why would so why was the law after her? We're filing a, a I was after well, she committed fraud on her bankruptcy. Okay. So her bankruptcy okay. was denied. Okay. So they she was indicted in two thousand five. She was indicted um, for nine counts of bankruptcy fraud. And she left the country before she was served. That's why she had a warrant for her arrest. Okay. And she left the country, her parents left the country. They they go totally got out of the United States, left Arizona. In 2005, and they first went to England, right? Yep. And then they yep. ended up in Ireland, which is 
where as far as we you believe and you I just know what you've told me that they they are still in Ireland as far as you know. I as far as I know, I I don't really know where they are. Okay. I don't know that I don't even know that their her parents are still alive. Okay. Um but I mean, I don't know that they're not either. Okay. So like I don't know like I I don't know that they've moved back here or I really don't know where they are. Okay. Um Wanda, it, it's it, at one point you during this, you know, with Jeff disappearing and everything, you even though you were way over in Wisconsin, you actually became a little fearful, didn't didn't you? What can you tell the listeners about that? Yeah, after I first disappeared, I I just got fearful myself of the, both of them, both Shelby and her father, um, and I mean, I just I, I just got paranoid about it. It was because. Just had put my name on everything, and I just uh, anyway, I was I was fearful that they were going to come for me and do what they did to him. Mm-hmm. Um, where I, I I actually locked my husband out, and we was barbecuing on the back porch. Um, I since I don't do that anymore. Um, so to explain that, he went out. You have a back row in the backyard or something. You didn't even yeah. leave that door unlocked. If he went out the door, as soon as he's out the door, you locked it. I locked it. And wow. he's like, what are you doing? He's like, just here, I'll give you a sidearm. You can just carry a sidearm mm. if you're that afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. yeah, it, it just, it was really just, it was a bad feeling. And, and I hate it feeling that way. Like I, but I, it, I couldn't help it. But this isn't quite at the end of the story because what happened was uh, about five years later, and what yep. was it, 2009? And you didn't know that this, just to make sure clear for the listeners, you didn't know that this happened at the time. But she and her family moved out of the United States. Then she alone came back to the United States. Tell us That's about right. that. Tell us about that. She, she gets picked up in Chicago um, because her name was on a watch list because she's a fugitive and she's got a, an arrest warrant. Mm-hmm. She gets. She gets picked up in um, Chicago, and the U.S. Marshal that we know and the U.S. Attorney that's the um, the attorney for the bankruptcy fraud had to argue to the court that she was a, a flight risk. Because normally on a white collar crime, you know they're gonna they're gonna just give you okay, you got to come back for this or whatever. But they said no. They extradited her to Utah, and. Mm-hmm. Um, she claims that she was on her way to Denver to, to a conference. Just reading back through the information that I received, um, that one one um, person said that she was an she was an author for children's books. Mm-hmm. I also heard that she was on a book buying mission for the church. So it's it's really I don't I'm not really sure which one is true. I, I kind of believe that she may have said she was an author for children's books. But she had an alias, didn't she? She they we found out yeah. she had an alias. She had two passports with yeah. her when she got caught in the United States. Yeah, she did. She, she had two passports. Those were under the name of Shelby Elizabeth Nichols. She's a U.S. and a U.K. Um, passport. She also had a, an Ireland driver's license under the name of Grace Archer. Um, but in the U.K. and I think even in Ireland, if you change your name you still have to show your your first name. So she flew in under Shelby Nichols. That's what her passports okay. were. Um, she also has an alias. I mean, she was Shelby Elizabeth Brown. 
she got married, her first marriage, she was Shelby Butler. And when I was just looking through some of the information today, um, I noticed that she had used Shelby Butler on one of her phones that she had, um, that she had mm-hmm. claimed in her bankruptcy. Huh. Well, the listeners should know that I did a little looking into my own. That where would this name Grace Archer come from? Why would she pick that name? And it turns out that Grace Archer is a character. I, I think on TV. I, I, unfortunately, it's been a, a little of a, a couple weeks since I actually looked at that. But Grace Archer is like a character at one time on British TV as part of a soap opera or something. Something. Yeah, something I, like. I that. Something like I that. I think originally it may, it may have been a TV show, but I think it mm-hmm. was also like a radio show. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah. And for the record, if you go to like Amazon.com, you're not going to find any books written by Grace Archer or Shelby Brown or Shelby Nichols. You're not going to <laughs> right. find that. So whatever story she was trying to give and you know whatever you found out, it's hard to find any information that that's actually true. Right. You know, and and I think that I've even asked you and I'm sure the listeners are probably going to be thinking, well, if she's not an author and you can't find anything on Amazon, what was the real reason that she was coming back to the United States, especially if she knew the United States was or at least Utah was still after her for this bankruptcy fraud? Yeah, I don't know if she thought she wouldn't get caught or if she wanted to come back and do her time. I I really Mm -hmm. I thought about that. It was within five years. That's a really weird time. You know, yeah. like five years later. I have to tell you, Wanda, she doesn't sound like the type of woman who got a guilty conscience and said, you know what, I'm going to go back to the United States and do my time. No, I don't think she does have a guilty, one guilty bone in her body. She's no. a sociopath. Because she did spend some time in jail. Uh, and how yes, long was that? How long? It was between four and five months. Okay. Um, she was, she plea bargained down to eight charges. Eight bankruptcy fraud charges. He paid a restitution of ten thousand dollars, and I think there was a hundred dollar fee for court costs. Um, then we found out. I was told that the church paid that mm-hmm. restitution. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I yeah, that the church paid it. Um, okay. And there's something that we don't. I mean, we're not going to name the, the church uh, as part of this. Yeah. But you. But the listeners should know that this church that helped her bail her out or came up with this money or whatever went out of business a couple years ago in Ireland. All yeah. right. Um, just this for is the, the church record, where she worked. Yes, this he church. Had, he yeah. worked as the manager of the church's bookstore in Dublin. Mm. And may have had contacts in the town that she lived in. Yeah. Right, right, and I've done a little, and let you already know about, but the listeners should know. I've done a little investigation on my own with the help of a listener regarding, uh, you know, some of this. Then I'm just going to leave it at that for now. But, um, but yeah, that church went out of business, if, it, if that's how you'd put it, uh, for you know taking out a loan that they couldn't come back. And the church does have your rep, had a shady reputation even while it existed. Um. But you didn't find this out, her coming back to the United States, and so she's doing this time in the United States. You had no idea about this in 2009, 2010. How did you find out about this? I found out when um, the original detective on the case called me um, over a year later in 2010, and he said that he wanted me to know that they had reopened Jeff's case, 
In fact, they were looking into a lot of other missing person cases because they were investigating Susan Powell's disappearance. Mm -hmm. And they were really hoping that they could really just go through that. They were hoping to find people, and they actually did find people. I think they found them in a reservoir. Um, but they were really hoping to find Jeff so that he could come home to us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I say that in not a good way, you know, but right, they right. hoped that he would find, they would find his remains is what they were saying. Yes. Um, but at the time when Shelby was in, in jail, there was a different investigator on the case. And basically, he it was really frustrating. He didn't investigate. He always said, you know, like, said all the right things, but really did nothing. And, you know, and once they left the country, it was really, it's like, what are you going to do? You can't do anything. Ireland doesn't extradite. No. Um, but they they reopened the case, and they looked. They investigated. The guy that was the, the investigator at the time, um, that just case was moved to homicide. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, he still is a missing person, but... They did move this case to homicide. When she was, when she did get caught, and she had to go back to Utah, and she spent that time. You are you saying that she was never asked about Jeff's disappearance, or did she lawyer yeah. up, or anything like that? Nope. What What happened was the guy that the investigator that was in on the case at that time, um, he received the call that she was there, mm-hmm. and did nothing. Didn't go over. Did not talk to her, um, and. They, you know, they were, they were, Salt Lake was notified that she was there. He was also, at some point, on an extended leave. So nothing happened. And to me, that's just the frustrating part. I would have yeah. loved to have known that she was there. I would have sure. gone to court just to look at her face. Sure. You know, and you have to look at it probably from her point of view. When she got caught, she probably thought, you know, I, I know they're going to, you know, eventually some detective is going to, you know, end up, ta- you know, wanting to talk to me about my ex-husband's disappearance. And here she went that whole time and not one person ever asked her anything. Yeah, it's probably even better. <laughs> yeah, but well, and I talked yeah. to, you know, wow. the thing is, is Shelby, is, she wouldn't have said anything anyway. When I did, mm-hmm. when I did talk to the detective, yeah. and the attorney, he said, you know, she was just fit to be tried by the time she got back to Utah. I think she sat in a jail in um, Oklahoma City for a couple of weeks before she got to Utah. Mm-hmm. So he said she was just really nasty. Well, maybe uh, that would have been the best time to work on her if she's mentally drained or something. You know, you, you know. Yeah. I, I obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think so too. You know, it, 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 and it's unfortunate. I'm just just going to ask you straight out, Wanda. Just take this in a little bit. Is there any chance that your brother kind of just took off? Just is there any you know, is there any chance of that? <laughs> I wish there was. I really do. When he first disappeared, I used to imagine that he was in Mexico living with some hoochie mama with kids and mm-hmm. living a, the life, fishing and playing, and um, that didn't happen. I can tell you right now, there's no chance. And I don't think anybody, even today on this case, believes that. Mm-hmm. Um, I know our family doesn't. Nobody, I mean, Jeff, he, you know, he loved his family. He was in contact with all of us all the mm-hmm. time. Um, I know people do, like, go off sometimes and do that. But yeah, that's it's rare. Not, it doesn't happen. You know but... what, we would have found something. There would have been something. Mm-hmm. 
And and just just from just from what you know, we hired private detectives. We had a couple of them, and just from what we found out, and just, if you look at the facts, that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. Is there any possibility that that he was supposed to meet Shelby that that morning, and he just ran into somebody else, had nobody, had nothing to do with Shelby and her family, or the divorce, and anything else? that he could have been made to disappear somebody just by a stranger. Just, you know, wrong place, that's wrong time. That's always a possibility. Yeah, okay. I think that's always a possibility. Um, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. I wasn't there. Yeah. Um, just when I look at what I have, the information that we have, that I, you know, that the police have, I think everybody knows what happened. Mm-hmm. What kind of effect has this had? Happened. Yeah. What kind of effect has this had on your your family since two thousand four? Oh, it's it, it's absolutely devastating to everyone um, to to not know to to think. You know, it's it's. I think it's hard enough to know what happens if somebody is killed, but just you always have these questions, and it's it's. it's just devastating to everybody. It's depressing. Are your uh, parents still alive? Is yeah, Je- are Jeff's parents are. still alive? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Our parents are still alive, and you know, we every, we talk about Jeff, and everybody. Like I said, Jeff was the like the favorite child. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and I just want to like honor him and honor his memory, and not just yeah. you know really get too negative about what happened. It's really yeah. so easy to do that and I got I, I, I do I Jeff was just a wonderful guy and I don't I know that he would want us to be happy in our lives and not dwelling on it and yeah. but it's very hard not to I can just tell you that right because it just doesn't go away it always comes back it's always there in the back of your mind every year and that probably happens too when something horrible happens to love them but just it's in and and you just don't know what happens. So it's, it's different. It's a different kind of loss. Do you, uh, for the listeners, uh, so the listeners know, do you have a website? How can my listeners help you out? How can they spread the word? Uh, you know, how can they offer their sympathy or help? Or, or, you know, as you know, I've already had a listener of mine who, you know, I've kind of pulled into this and she has some connections and that's all I really want to say regarding your uh, brother's disappearance. And maybe, you know, she can help you in some way. But, uh, you have a Facebook page, website. Where can people, you know, yeah. go to find out more about Jeff? I have. We have a website. It's um, helpfindjeff.com. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a website. It's helpfindjeff at yahoo.com. Okay. That's our email. Okay. So, and it, yeah. So, the website, um, yeah, there's a website for Jeff. It's got pictures and stuff on it. And there is a reward. We have a reward. Um, a ten thousand dollar reward. Okay. Through Crime Stoppers, okay. but I think that um, probably the best place is to to notify the family um, or call Crime Stoppers. Wanda, I, I deeply appreciate you sharing uh, the disappearance of your brother Jeff, and I know that uh, myself, my listeners, um, we're going to do everything we can to help you out. And I think, as I've already told you. Um, before that this show has already caused a couple 
leads to shake loose in a couple cases that I've already covered. And I hope that we can do that. I hope we can do that in this case. And, um, you know, I want to keep in contact with you. So, and I, I, so the listeners are going to go to your site. They're going to find out even more about Jeff and, and what happened here. And maybe we can get some justice for you uh, the family and for Jeff. Thank you very much, Ed. I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of Unfound. And that was my interview with Wanda Schmidt, the sister of Jeff Nichols. I have to tell you that this case reminds me a lot of a murder that happened here in Florida in 2014 or was it 2015? Late July 2014-2015 when – I think it was 2014 now that I think about it. Dan Markell was a lawyer. He was a fairly well-known lawyer in the United States, uh, had a website. He was murdered in the garage of his home in Tallahassee, which is the capital of Florida. Case went unsolved for a year and a half until it was discovered that They had some video of a car and some other information, and what the police discovered is that the shooters, there were two, had a connection to Dan Markell's ex-wife's family. And the reason it's pretty clear that the people wanted Dan dead is so the ex-wife could move with their children back to the Miami area from the Tallahassee area, so from North Florida to South Florida. And, however, you should know something. That case is going on right now, or maybe it's already happened. They've caught the shooters, and uh, the the brother of the ex-wife has been implicated in all this, and his girlfriend has been implicated in all this. But there is no proof, at least to this point, that the ex-wife or the parents of her had anything to do with Dan's murder. Nobody has rolled over on them yet. Once again, as you hear the facts, and you can look that up for yourself, his last name, Dan's last name is Markel, M-A-R-K-E-L. You can look that case up for yourself. In fact, it has its own page on Wikipedia. I think if you read that, you'll see why that case came to mind. First of all, and in fact, I told that to Wanda the first time that we talked. So that case kind of feels like this case. But once again, if Jeff was made to disappear by somebody in Shelby's family, it's possible, possible that Shelby didn't know anything about it. Very much like may be the case in Dan Markell's situation where it was somebody acting independently from the ex-wife. Just a possibility. Just want to make sure that you all know about that. You can assess the facts in Jeff's case and compare it to Dan's case and judge for yourself. Of course, the motive, I think, what would be in Jeff's disappearance, it's pretty clear to me, if in, if in fact the family had something to do with it, is that it was the custody of their son. I think that it may be that the Browns figured out if Shelby was going to go to jail for bankruptcy fraud, 
that he would that he Jeff would automatically get custody of their son, and I'm not sure that that was something that the Browns and Shelby were comfortable with as a motive. I'm still struck by Shelby trying to get back into the United States. I don't know if we're ever going to know why that happened. It's something that really, really sticks out to me. And in fact, you heard me comment during that section of the interview that Shelby doesn't seem like the type of woman who's just going to give herself up. She's feeling guilty, has a guilty conscience. So she decides to come back to the United States and get caught. Maybe she figured she wasn't going to get caught, but even her reason for being in the United States or coming back here, it's just not believable. There, there is no record of her anywhere uh, uh, being an author under her real name or this name of Grace Archer. Maybe she has another pseudonym, and we don't know about it. But to travel the whole way from Ireland to the United States, and just not the United States, but I guess she was going to Colorado for a book conference. She couldn't go somewhere else in Ireland. She couldn't go to England, which is, of course, much closer. I don't know. If, if there was somebody out there that could figure that out, that I think would be very helpful. Some other points before I leave you to your own devices regarding this interview. Something that wasn't included in the interview, and I ha- kind of half forgot it and kind of half didn't know how to include it because it's a little bit of hearsay. But... Vern, Vernon, Shelby's dad, at one time you heard us mention uh, a, a friend of his, a former business partner that ended up going to jail. Well, Wanda in passing mentioned that person getting back out of jail. This guy had told her that at one point when Vernon and this businessman were riding around, once again before this other guy went to jail, Vernon never went to jail said that Vern had talked about what it would take to hide a body, and he had talked about caves or wells, something like that. And this was well before Jeff disappeared. It does seem like kind of a weird conversation. However, I preface it that the guy who was telling Wanda and her family this was a criminal himself and was a known liar himself and had spent time in jail for fraud among other charges. So you can take that for what it's worth. And one more thing, as I was listening to this interview, I was reminded of uh, the interview I did with Gary Jenkins uh, from Gangland Wire. And I told you the reason I did that interview is because I thought that we might be able to learn something about all disappearances by hearing something about mafia disappearances. And little did I know that that would happen so quickly. But if, in fact, Shelby and her father at least had something to do with Jeff's disappearance, it seems pretty clear to me that they lured him to that location because Jeff was such a fan of golf, a golf enthusiast, saw a chance to get some golf clubs for a lot cheaper than they were probably worth. And that's what got him up at 6 in the morning. 
You remember that Wanda said that he usually was a hard sleeper, maybe a late sleeper as well. That that would, would, would get him up at that time to go buy those golf clubs. You remember Gary Jenkins talking about luring, getting some mob guy to a certain place under the guise of they're going to go do a job when really this guy's showing up for his own execution. All right, remember that? You can go back and listen to that that episode where Gary talked about that, and that's also what I thought that if this was done by the Browns, they knew the perfect device to lure Jeff to that location. Now, what do I think happened? I think that you put that all together, including the phone records. Here's what I think happened. I think that they did have an agreement to meet at 6 in the morning, and I think Jeff got to that location and waited for a few minutes, and Shelby didn't show up. And that's what that 6.03 a.m. call was. Hey, Shelby, where are you? I thought we were meeting. Shelby answers the phone and says, oh, you know what? I slept in. I'm sorry. You know what? Why don't you just come over to the house? Jeff says, fine. Okay, I'm up anyway. He drives over there, makes maybe another call saying, hey, I'm here. She says, okay, you know, come inside or whatever. And that's where something happens. I think the phone, and then right after that, as Wanda stated, her trying to establish an alibi, she calls a friend of hers. All for the reason, I think, that they were afraid that uh, this bankruptcy issue would cause Jeff to get full custody of their son. Also, if they were planning to run like the Browns did from the United States to Ireland, that... Uh, They wouldn't be able to do that. And if Jeff were still alive, there is no force, I think, in the universe that would have kept him from getting custody of his son again. I think that was the prime motivator in all of this. But as with all of the cases on Unfound, I'm going to leave the rest of the speculation up to you. What do you think happened? In addition, what can we do if we are to believe that Shelby and her family had something to do with Jeff's disappearance? What can we do about it? How can we go about helping Wanda and her family as they look for justice in this case? For example, I'm hoping some of my friends in Ireland hear this case, and maybe they've happened to run into the Browns at one time or another Since they fled the United States. That might be helpful. Maybe somebody will hear something about the Browns. Maybe they remember something back from 2004 when they lived in Salt Lake City that could bring about a new lead in this case. Or maybe somebody else has information that has nothing to do with the Browns. It's it's possible. And I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel. And you've been listening to Unfound. Unfound.